Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. you're supposed to be a bit rowdy. I'm going to need a little bit, you know, the rowdier you are, the faster I talk, and the earlier you beat the Baptist to the buffet. (laughs) Just saying, just saying. Well, hey, welcome everyone. It's so good to have you. Welcome to all of our live streamers. We have Virginia, Texas, New York, North Carolina, Illinois, Georgia, and Florida. We had all over the world joining us on our previous um, service. So it's so good to be here with you today. If you are new to Freedom House, let me tell you how we do things here. We have a teaching team. We uh, do not have video venues. In other words, you have live speakers and teachers at all of our campuses. Uh, So today I am here with you guys. And then uh, Pastor Olin is at our Lake Norman campus. And then Adam Molkai is at our South End campus. Super excited. And Pastor Troy, he's not off this weekend. He's actually on the mission field. Uh, He is in Seattle. And he is speaking at a church and just really lifting up a church this weekend. He is doing their men's conference all weekend, Friday, Saturday. And then today there were multiple services. So just be praying for them because Antifa is not too happy about that church. And they threatened to come in and burn the church down and go to all of the employees of the church and burn their houses down. So let's just make sure that we're lifting them up. Um, The reason Pastor Troy is there is um, the pastor that leads that church is uh, just had surgery for um, prostate cancer. And so while he and the church have been getting attacked, we send in reinforcements because that's what you do, right? That's... That's who Pastor Troy is, so he is there uh, kicking some devil butt. So we got the East Coast and the West Coast covered today. 
Uh, and that's who we are at Freedom House. We don't back down in the face of trouble. We charge the enemy, just so you know. Um, well, we've been in this series uh, that is all about the dog days of summer, and that's just about how, you know, often in the summertime, we want to take a, a chill, we want to rest, we want to just kind of hang back, we want to coast, but honestly, uh, we, we believe that you can have an incredible time with the Lord in the summer. It doesn't have to be your summer slump. And it's good to go and get some rest and some vacation and have some time just to come down. But you don't have to take a vacation from God during the summer. And one of the questions that I was thinking about is, you know, what can happen when we are vacationing or sometimes withdrawing or pulling ourselves away? Are, we can start to get in our thoughts if we're not careful. We can start to have all of these questions that go through our mind. And one of the ones that I've been hearing is, you know, what, what, what happens when I feel like God isn't there or he's not present or maybe he's forgotten about me or maybe he's not answering my prayers. And I wanted to tackle that today because I don't think that that's just isolated for something we feel in the summertime when we're kind of just sitting back by the pool and our thoughts are going wild. I think that's something that as a believer, as a Christian, we've got to make sure that we pay attention to, that we sometimes when the check engine light comes on, you got to lift up the hood and look underneath there and see what's going on, right? Maybe it needs a little oil. Maybe it needs a little water added in. Maybe it needs a new fan belt. Y'all surprised I knew those things? Mm-hmm, because usually when something breaks, I just go, it's making a noise. You know, it's making a noise. Well, what kind of a noise? I don't know, a noise. Well, is it, is it the radiator? I don't know. Is it the engine? I don't know. It's just making a noise. And my husband used to get really irritated when I would say those kinds of things to him. And then I would say to him when we'd get in the kitchen, I was like, could you hand me the mandolin, please? I need the mandolin. And he's like, what? I'm like, oh, what? Do you not know what that means? So he doesn't do that anymore because he knew I was going to dish it back at him. But there are sometimes things that happen in life that we need to take a look and check under the hood because our engine light is going off. Something, something is signaling us to look a little bit deeper. And when we start having thoughts that don't line up with the word of God, that is a perfect time to look under the hood and see what's going on. I want to read this story to you. How many of you have ever done the Enneagram? You know the Enneagram. You've taken your test. Raise your hand real high. I want to see. Okay. How many of you have no idea what an Enneagram is? Raise your hand. Okay. Y'all need to go take the test. It's not a personality test like the Myers-Briggs. The Enneagram, and I think it's spelled E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. Um, but the Enneagram is not a personality test. It actually tells you the why behind the what, like why you do the things that you do. And it's very helpful, not only so you can understand yourself, but if you're married or you have a plan to be married, you're going to need to know this stuff, okay? It's very helpful. I'm giving you, I'm giving you, a, I'm doing you a big favor right now. So I am uh, an Enneagram 8, and if you follow me on social media, you know that, um, if you don't know the Enneagram, what that means is the Enneagram 8 is a challenger. It's someone who's very much about the truth, and when the truth isn't being told, you're going to rile up an Enneagram 8, and they're going to make sure the truth gets out there. 
because I am not going to let people, you know, like the piped piper just being, you know, led away, led astray. So an Enneagram 8 is very much someone who is all about the truth, who is all about um, making sure justice, um, a holy justice, right? I'm not about social justice. I'm about biblical justice. There is a difference, okay? I'm about standing on the word of God. And so with my, with my motivation and my, my Myers-Briggs is involved here too. So how many of you, you want to know what my Myers-Briggs is? Do you do Myers-Briggs? Okay, I am an ENTJ, which I found out is one of the rarest ones for women, okay? And what that is is it's a commander. So you put the commander and the one that has to have the truth, and that makes for an interesting mix, right? And so as I read this story in Mark chapter 5, I got annoyed. Like, I'm annoyed, and I'm going to tell you why I got annoyed. Some of you, when you read Mark chapter 5, you're just looking at it like how amazing, how incredible. But I got super annoyed. It says, now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came named Jairus. Jairus came, and when he saw him, Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he begged him earnestly, saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So he's going to Jesus in faith. He knows that Jesus is the answer. And here is a man who serves God. He is a ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. So here this, this religious leader is able to get access to Jesus and there's crowds and crowds of people and Jesus had just finished coming off the boat and he's met with need and it says that Jesus went with him. Jesus goes with him, but... The next verse says, Now a certain woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, here's somebody else hearing about Jesus. They're hearing about the great physician, and they're searching him out. The multitudes are coming after him. It says, she came behind him in the crowd, and she touched his garment. Now, many of the, uh, the synoptic gospels, when you read them through, it says specifically, depending on which author you're reading, it says that she touched the hem of his garment. Now, that is very specific because the hem that is around the bottom of a priestly garment, which is what Jesus wore, was blue. And the reason it was blue and it was to remind people that heaven, the heavens have come to earth and heaven is available and ready for you. And it had four tassels on the corners to remind you that no matter where you go, northeast, south, or west, that, hey, there is a promise for you. So here is this woman that hears that Jesus is coming by, 
and he's in the crowd, and the Bible says in many of these different books that she is trying to get to that tassel, that promise, that hem, that touch of heaven. She's trying to get a hold of it, but there is this huge crowd. She's like, for if I can only touch his clothes, his hem, I will be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power, one translation says virtue, had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said what looks like the most foolish words you have ever heard in your life, right? Now, when we see the word multitude in the Bible, it could be anywhere from 5,000 to 20,000. 5,000 to 20,000 people are in the crowd. We just read thronging Jesus. And one of them touches him. And he says, who touched me? I mean, that seems like a really dumb question to ask Jesus. Like, uh, everyone because everyone's trying to get a hold of you. Everyone is trying to get their needs met, their prayers answered. Everybody touched you, Jesus. That's the answer. His disciples even said to him, uh, you see the multitudes thronging you and you say, who touched me? They're like, Jesus, we're not even the son of God. And we kind of know that's a foolish question. Like, why are you asking that? What is the point of asking this? And Jesus, he looked around to see her who had done this thing. She had done something. But the woman was fearing and trembling because she knew she had done something big. She knew that what she had done was huge. She was fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her. She came and fell before him. And here's the part I want you to hear. She told him the whole truth. In other words, I have a flow of blood. I know that I am considered unclean. I am not supposed to have even left my house. But for 12 years, because I've had this condition, I have been isolated. I am not allowed to be around people. No, we don't know. Uh, from the scripture, if she had children or if she had a husband, but because of her condition, she was not allowed to be around anyone. She was literally uh, given a label of unclean. And what's so significant about that is she was not allowed to leave the house. But where is she right now? She is in the middle of a crowd, thousands of people. And because she's in this crowd, not only is the entire crowd now considered unclean because she's in their midst, but she touches Jesus and therefore the law said, now Jesus was unclean because of her. So she's telling on herself, she's saying, listen, I know by law I'm not supposed to be here, but I had no other help. I know I'm supposed to be in quarantine. 
But the doctors can't do anything. Nobody can do anything. I've been isolated. I'm at my wit's end. There's nothing else I know to do but just to get to you, Jesus. And I know I've broken the law, but I believe if I could just touch the heaven in you, if I could just get the hem of your garment, I just knew I would be healed. And she's saying this knowing that she's breaking the law when she comes to them, knowing that the crowd could turn on her because now they are considered unclean. And in Jewish culture, you don't do that. You don't go out when you're unclean. And here she's acknowledging to Jesus, yes, I know I wasn't allowed to touch anything. Yes, it was me that touched you. I did it. And what is Jesus' answer? It says that she came and fell before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, he didn't say unclean one. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You are healed of your affliction. You are completely healed. Now, what does everyone else do? I mean, they're considered unclean now. Like, what's going on? Her faith, her faith was to get to touch Jesus. And when she touched Jesus, his grace met her there. And even though, even though she was considered unclean, you know, when, when we read the scripture where it says there is healings, healing in his wings in the Bible, in Numbers, that word wings doesn't mean like flap your wings, wings. That word wings translates as tassels. There is healing in your tassels. There is healing in the authority that God has given and bestowed upon you. And if I could touch that, If I could just get to that, if I could access that, I will be healed. But I'm going to have to go through some things and be willing to have the crowd talk about me. Be willing to maybe upset a few people in order to get to Jesus and have my prayer answered. She came out of isolation and she revealed her need. She revealed her need. But here's the thing that just annoys my Enneagram 8. The way that we started this whole passage off was there was a man named Jairus who was a spiritual leader who his daughter was on the brink of death. Now we're all about this woman with the issue of blood. Where the heck is Jairus in all of this? I mean, they're in line for the doctor and she totally cuts in line. Have you ever been to the ER and you're watching all these people come in and out and you're waiting your turn, but, but Jairus was first in line and yet everybody else is coming in and coming out and they're, they're getting looked after? Jairus' daughter was at the brink of death. He goes to Jesus and, and he's a spiritual leader. I mean, if anybody God would answer, wouldn't it be somebody that was working on God's behalf? Not somebody that was breaking the law that shouldn't even have been there in the first place? God, I serve you. God, I honor you. 
God, why aren't you coming through for me right now? I mean, he, he literally went to Jesus, and Jesus says, take me to her. They're on the way, and while they're on the way, some woman who's breaking the law stops them. I would have been like, excuse me, excuse me. We got to keep going. Did you, did you not hear that my daughter is about to die, and I need you to go touch her? I would have been freaking out right now, going, okay, there, there's a time crunch here. Did, did you miss that and what I said? I mean, did you not hear that? Now we're dealing with this woman who, she's had this issue for 12 years. Can we get her later? She's not going to get any better right now. Can we, can we take care of my daughter? Then maybe come back to her. I mean, my Enneagram 8 is just going off like crazy, like, man, it doesn't seem fair. This guy's given his life. Here he is, coming to Jesus, and they're actually on the way, and this woman interrupts Jesus, completely interrupts him. It's like somebody jumped in front of you at the grocery store line. No, 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 except this is life and death. Somebody pulled in your spot in front of, you know, right in front of the mall, and you're like ready to fight. Well, think about how you'd feel like this, right? This girl is about to die. Like, what might you be feeling inside if you're her dad? And you know she's literally any minute could pass away. What is this desperate father feeling? I mean, his heart would be sinking. He's having to control his, his thoughts, trying to keep fear from overtaking him. And what is Jesus doing? Why won't he hurry up? Does Jesus not understand the urgency of the situation? I, I mean, I thought I told him. I mean, I thought I let him know she was on the brink of death. Does anybody ever feel like that sometimes? Jesus, did you not understand? Like, I need you right now. Can, can you not hear me? I feel like you've ignored me. I feel like you're not giving this the attention that it needs. Why aren't you giving it the urgency that the situation deserves? And just then something happens. It says, while he was still speaking, while Jesus was speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and they said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? My Enneagram 8 would be saying, that's because this woman couldn't wait her turn. I mean, why couldn't she wait? She's lived her life. I've got a little kid. Why did she have to do this? I, I mean, how many of us, if this was the ER, and our kid died in the ER, would we have gotten mad or upset because somebody jumped in our place? And what does Jesus do? Does he say, well, that's the end of the story? I'm sorry that this happened. You know, I realize I couldn't get there, but hey, in the next life, I'll owe you one. What does Jesus do? Mark chapter 5, it says, As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, he said to the father, Listen, do not be afraid. Only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him. Here they are in a great multitude. 
He permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and he saw a tumult, which is a loud noise, a confusing mass of people that were gathered around the house. And they were there who were weeping and wailing loudly. And he came in, and he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. What is Jesus doing right now? He's figuring out who has faith and who doesn't. Because those that don't have the faith, you don't get to come in here and disrupt with your unbelief. So he makes this statement. It says, and they ridiculed him, but when Jesus put them outside. Do you understand? Jesus is trying to find out, hey, who is with us, what, what faith is going to be behind us, and who is not, because the who aren'ts are going to be getting out. And you know, some of the people that got put out are family members. Do you hear that today? Sometimes your family are the ones you have to put out if they're not following the words of God. Doesn't mean you don't love them, it just means that in this moment, I've got to hear from God, and you're a distraction, so I'm going to have to put you over here. Jesus puts them out, puts them out, and he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him, and he entered where the child was laying, and then he took the child by the what? He took the child by the hand, because what was the father's prayer all from the beginning is, Jesus, if you would just touch her. He takes the little girl by the hand and he says to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. Now, how long had the woman been dealing with the issue of blood? 12 years. Mighty interesting, don't you think? And they were overcome with great amazement. You see, what happens is many times we feel that there's a death in something that we've been praying for, and really that's not the end of the story. Most of us look at death like it's the end of the story, but God is ready to resurrect, and he's right there in your home. He's right there in your story. He's right there in your marriage. He's right there in your finances. He's right there in your relationships, ready to resurrect something, but you have to make sure you believe that it hasn't died. It just went to sleep. He's still looking for who has the faith in the room to believe that, that she's just sleeping right now. Do you have the faith to believe that this isn't a final thing, but that it's just asleep right now and I can bring it back to life again? You see, you can make an effort, but God can make a way. You can make an effort, but God can make a way. The other thing that I find so interesting about this story is another thing that would make you unclean and get you put out of the camp is touching dead things. So if Jesus didn't, wasn't unclean before when the woman touched him, he is definitely unclean now because now he just touched a dead body and that is a big fat no-no in Jewish culture. You do not touch a dead body. 
And here he is. He goes in and everybody is probably freaking out because if you were to touch something dead, you had to be quarantined for a long period of time. All your clothes had to be washed. You had to be stripped. And there was a whole process you had to go through in order to come back from that. But Jesus touches this dead girl and he brings her back to life again. You see, time matters to us. But Jesus was in no hurry that day because the one who created time is not bound by it. And most of us freak out when we don't feel like God is is doing something within our time frame. But Jesus is saying, listen, I, I created time. I don't need you to remind me of what time it is. I'm good. I got this. You know, it's interesting as you read through the Bible, the different times that Jesus goes against what the rules are. You see, I believe there's a time to go against the rules when the rules go against the word of God. And here Jesus is trying to heal people and help people. And they're like, well, you're not allowed to do it on Sundays. Or back then it was Saturdays. But the point is on the rest day, on the Sabbath. You're not allowed to heal people. And they're like, well, if somebody's ox falls in a ditch, would you pull it out? Well, yeah. And he's like, well, how much more are people? He challenged their systems that went against the word of God. And here he is right now breaking the law by touching a dead thing, a dead little girl. And when Jesus healed the man in the temple who had a withered hand, the Bible says the man had a withered hand, and and he's considered unclean if you have a withered hand. And Jesus says, hey, come in here, and he brings him into the temple, and he's like, stretch it out. And the the guy's like, well, people are going to see. They're going to see my dysfunction. They're going to see what's broken with me. They're going to see what's wrong with me. And so what Jesus says to him, Jesus does not say to him, stretch out your withered hand. Jesus just says, stretch out your hand. Now, when we're in church like we are today, and if I were to say, hey, stretch out your hand, and one of your hands was withered, guess which hand you're going to stretch out? The one that looks good. Because we want everybody to see how good our life is, how good things look, how wonderful everything is. But see, Jesus isn't interested in that. When Jesus said, stretch out your hand, it's because there's an opportunity for healing, and he doesn't want you to stretch out the one that looks good. He wants you to stretch out the one that's broken. And see, when we just try to stretch out what looks good, we don't get the healing that we need. He's wanting to touch that hand. But the guy is wanting to hide the fact that he's unclean, that he's got this problem, and, and he doesn't really want the whole church to see it. He doesn't want everybody to know what's going on in his life. But that's the only way you get healed is when you stretch it out. And here's the woman acknowledging where she's at. Here's the religious leader acknowledging that he's having an issue in his family and he's needing some help. You see, the only way we get free from our issues is if we're willing to stretch it out, we're willing to expose, we're willing to say, Jesus, come into my house and see the things that are in here that are not dead, but I need you to bring them back to life again. 
And that's what Jesus does. Have you ever backed up before because you felt like that maybe the answer that you were praying for wasn't going to come? Could you imagine the, the people that ran to Jairus and said, it's too late, she's dead? Could you imagine what he felt? Could you imagine the sting of pain where he just watched this other woman get healed in a time slot that was his? She just got healed, but yet her daughter, his daughter died? Have you ever felt that way before? Maybe you saw somebody else that got married and you wanted to be married and you haven't found the right person yet. And you're struggling watching that situation, wondering where your time is. Or maybe you've been believing God to have a baby and everyone else seems like they're able to get pregnant and have children and, and, and there's something that, that starts to rise in you because you feel like, well, maybe, maybe God is paying attention to them and, and looking at them, but what about me? What about me? I've come to the Lord too. Why, why isn't he answering me? Or maybe somebody that got a promotion at work, but you've been there a whole lot longer, but yet you got overlooked. God, where are you in that? Where are you in the situation? Maybe you got a diagnosis that was bad and you've been struggling, but yet you know somebody else that God healed and you're just wondering, when is it your time? Anybody ever felt like that before? Just God, when is it my time? And maybe you got there first, like Jairus. What was the dad thinking? What were his thoughts? You know, it's hard when we walk through things like that and we watch God moving in somebody else's life and we wonder, when is it our turn? You see, the reason we feel that way is because sometimes we don't understand that a delay is not a denial. A delay is not a denial. And we look at our situation and we start to think, well, maybe God's just not there because we're not so good in the waiting room of life. We don't do so great in the waiting room of life. We struggle sometimes. We don't understand why Jesus isn't, you know, a, a little more conducive to our time frame. Why isn't he in a little bit more of a hurry? Did he not just hear me say what's going on with my daughter? Why isn't he moving the way that I need him to? Well, you know, maybe my situation is just too far gone for Jesus. Maybe it's just too difficult. Because it sure is hard in this in-between season where I'm waiting for God's promise in my life. It feels really difficult. But can I tell you this today? Nothing is wasted in the waiting. Nothing is wasted in the waiting. Why do we even have to wait in the first place? I don't like to wait. Anybody like to wait? Target? Oh my gosh, Walmart? Don't pray for patience unless you want to wait in a really long line at Walmart, okay? Because that's what will happen if you ask God to, to test you. He's going to do it. But do you know what's so good about patience is it develops in us this well-formed maturity. When we have to sit in a trial and we don't have the answer yet, we've got to learn and grow. And sometimes being stretched, it doesn't feel so good. It feels quite difficult. 
But maturity does not mean that you won't have to wait. It deals with the, you know, the waiting part, but how you act while you wait. Do you understand? Maturity is, does not mean that you won't have to wait. It deals with the how you act while you wait. Because, see, I can wait and act like a knucklehead. And it doesn't produce the kind of fruit that God is looking for. But I can wait and I can let patience have its perfect work in me. James 1, verse 2, starting, and it says, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides, because you know that under pressure your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work as you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. You know, I often think about how must Daniel have felt. Daniel is, is a prophet of God in the Old Testament, and we see all these different things that he walked through. He came out of the lion's den, and, you know, he, he prophetically spoke over leaders, and he was able to guide and lead a country and help the leadership of the country because of his prophetic gift. And here he is, he's going through a really distressing time because God has given him this vision of things that are to come. And honestly, I would encourage you to study the, the book of Daniel right now because it has a lot to do with what we're dealing with right now. It has a lot to do, not only does it lay out things that are happening in Daniel's time, it also lays out things that are happening right now and that the Bible says will happen at the end of age. Daniel and Revelation, they're, they're two revelatory books about the end times. One is Old Testament, one is New Testament. And Daniel starts to see all these wars and country rising up against country and these visions that God has given to him. And he sees desolation. He sees all these different people groups and things that are happening. He sees these princes and rulers in these high places. And he's just go, he's basically like freaking out going, God, why aren't you telling me what all this is? See, God shows him all these visions and he's trying to prepare him for what's to come. And it says on day one that Daniel gets these visions that he starts praying. Well, then on top of praying, he also starts to fast. The Bible says that he doesn't eat anything that tastes good. He's eating just enough to sustain himself, and he wasn't drinking any wine. He just started drinking water, and he began to pray, to fervently pray. The Bible says that his, his thoughts were attacked, and as he began to withhold food, and he just began to pray, that his body started to get weak, and he's just like crying out before the Lord for 21 days going, God, I, I've always asked you before and you've shown up. But right now, you've given me all these visions and I don't understand them and I need your revelation. And right now, you're not answering me. Why are you not showing up in my situation? Why have you abandoned me? How many times do we feel that way about God? So many times in the past, the angel Gabriel would show up when Daniel would have a vision or when he would need a translation. And, and Gabriel would show up and give that to him. And Daniel is like, why not now? 
The craziest one I've seen of all that has to do with my people and the kingdoms of this world. And it's not looking good. And I'm afraid and you've left me. And it says that the angel of Gabriel showed up to him on day 22. On day 22. Gabriel, whenever you see Gabriel in the Bible, he's always delivering a message. There were three different archangels. One of them was Gabriel, and he was the one that was the messenger. Then there was Michael, who is the warrior archangel. He was the one that attended to the battles and the wars and the things that were in the heavenly or high places, as the Bible describes. And then the last uh, archangel was Lucifer, who was in charge of the music Now, when Lucifer fell, it removed him, and there was still Michael and Gabriel. And so here, Daniel, on the 22nd day, Gabriel shows up to Daniel, and he says, then Gabriel says to me, do not fear, Daniel, which Gabriel, whenever he encounters somebody, whether it was Mary letting Mary know about Jesus that was going to be in her womb, He uses the words, do not fear, because if you've ever had an angelic encounter, an angelic presence, and I pray that you do, you're in such awe and you're overwhelmed and such a, the only thing, it's like this, this awe and this reverence and this, this godly type of fear comes over you and it's, it's overwhelming. And so he says, do not fear, Daniel, from the first day. The very first day, the second that you prayed, the second that the words came out of your mouth, the second that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You heard my prayer 21 days ago? You, you, you actually were there for me? Well, well, where have you been? Well, I have come because of your words, Daniel. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Just like there are rulers in heavenly places um, that are angelic and good, there are also demonic rulers that take uh, over providences of cities and of people groups. Have you ever flown into a city before and you just flew into this demonic oppression? You could feel it. That's what you're feeling. You're feeling the hierarchies that are over those cities, which is why it's important that you and I bring down these things that are over our cities. So when Gabriel comes to bring us a message, he doesn't have to fight through all of that because the people who lived in the city already were, right? The same power that lives in us is coming from the power of Jesus Christ. And he says, there was the prince of the kingdom of Persia that withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left alone there with the king of Persia. Do you know how important it is our part to play in this is? Because God heard Daniel's prayers and he dispatched the answer. But because of the wars and the things that were going on, you know, did you know that we need to trust God even when we're experiencing a delay? Just because we may not have the answer we want, we've got to understand God's timetable. To him, the Bible says a, a day is as a thousand years. 
So he's not going to get caught up in our time frame when we have to understand that we just need to trust in the Lord. And some of you in here today, you might not have ever experienced or been in contact with the spiritual realm. And what I want you to understand, hopefully this can help you a little bit, is that there is a whole nother realm and a whole nother level that many people don't ever experience or don't ever see. Think about it like this. Sometimes people are willing to, to look at things with their eyes and that's the only thing that they're willing to believe. But if you were ever a kid and you did the science project where you go get the pond water and you put it underneath the microscope and you realize there's a whole nother world that you didn't know about. It's called amoebas. Do you remember the amoebas in science class? Or if you have a dog and you've ever blown a dog whistle, you can't hear it because your hearing only goes on certain levels and octaves. But just because you can't see it, just because you can't hear it, doesn't mean it's not there because things are bigger than what you may be able to understand. There are realms and dimensions that many of us have never experienced or never touched because God is like, you got to go deeper. You, you got to tune in a little more to the frequency. Or you got to turn that microscope up a bit. You got to magnify. When you magnify, you're able to see so much better. The problem is, is what are we magnifying? What is it that we are magnifying? Ephesians 6, 12, here's the thing I want us to understand, because I think we are fighting the wrong battles. You know, somebody posted on my um, social media this week because I was schluffing off about some stuff that our government's doing, and they said, you, you just need to stop talking about what's going on, and you just need to pray. And I said, no, 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 faith without works is dead. I'm praying, believe you me. And we're praying as a church, but I am also putting my hand to the plow and I am speaking out things that are wrong. And I am not only pulling down principalities and powers and rulers that are over this city. I'm not only doing things in the spiritual realm, but I'm also getting people in the natural realm to understand there is another realm. And here's the deal. You don't ignore the natural realm, but you deal with the spiritual realm first. Do you understand that? It's okay to pray over things and go speak to the school board. Do you understand? It's okay to deal with things in the spiritual realm and declare things with your mouth in the natural. It's not an either or. It's a, a both and. Do you understand that? So what happens is Ephesians 6.12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms that most of us, being honest, have not been able to tap into. What I would ask you in the season that we are in is ask God to help you tap into it. So when you take a step, you understand what it is that's really happening. Because when you peel back this natural layer, you realize that the battle is way different than you thought. It's not about masks or mandates or government rules or laws. It's not about any of those things. What is going on in our world? It's not, why well, I just disobeyed my mother or I disobeyed my father or, you know... 
whatever it is. It's not, well, you know, yeah, I, I messed up in my marriage, but there are spiritual things that are attached to our disobedience, and we've got to understand that when we open ourselves up to that, then the devil has free reign in our life, and that is what was troubling Daniel so much is because the nation of Israel had stepped back from God and God had to pull his hand back. Don't think that what we are going through in this country is by accident. Don't think it's by accident. It's because the Christians stopped using our voice. It's because the Christians said, well, I don't want to be looked at as unkind, so I, I want to be kind because Jesus was really nice. So we stopped speaking. And they came in and weaponized our empathy and got us to be quiet. And now these principalities and rulers are running rampant because we as the church stopped speaking. The leaders stopped leading. The fathers stopped heading the households. You know, one of the groups I'm really proud of right now is the mama bears that are going after the city council, going after the school boards. <laughs> Understand this. When things are going on that you can see, know it is because the things going, know that it is because there are things going on that you can't see. If you keep reading about Daniel, you realize that after Gabriel visits with him, Daniel just admits how tired he is, that he's weary, that so much was going on and he was been in anguish and he was just struggling with all that was going on in the world. Can anybody say amen on that? You know, you just, get your, you just get your head in a fog and, and you start to feel weary because the battle seems like it's dragging on. And what does the angel do? The Bible says that Gabriel touches him and restores strength back to him. Do you know what's so interesting about every one of these scenarios that I read to you? It all happened from a touch. The woman with the issue of blood touched Jesus. Jesus went and touched the dead girl. And here we are now where the angel touches Daniel and it says that it restored life back into him. Would you stand on your feet today? I think what we need today just to close out this message is I think we need a touch from God. We just need God to touch us because of what we've been walking through, what we've experienced. Maybe we feel a little bit defeated. Maybe we just feel anxious about things that are going on like Daniel did. Maybe we feel like we're experiencing a death in our life like the little girl or, or maybe that just feels like there's a constant drain coming out of us and we can't get our energy back and our life and our vitality back like the woman with the issue of blood. Whatever it is, Jesus is here today. He's here right now in this moment and he's ready to touch you. He's ready to be there for you. He's ready to heal your situation, to heal your heart. In 2 Corinthians 10, 4, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, 
but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. God, today I just ask you to touch people's thoughts. God, I ask you to touch people's bodies. God, no matter how weary, no matter how overcome, God, I ask you to touch relationships. I ask you to touch marriages. God, I ask you, touch anything that is, has died in them that you want to bring back to life again. God, because we know that a delay is not a denial. God, we need your supernatural power here today. Just lift your hands up if you would say, hey, I, I need that touch today. I've been a battle-weary warrior, and I, I just need that touch today. Just, just lift your hands up. We just need that touch. The Bible says that when the enemy comes in like a flood, that God raises up a standard. We just raise up that standard today. God, we thank you for dead things that were in our life, that we get to walk out of that grave and we get to leave those grave clothes behind in Jesus' name. Let's sing this out with the team. Let's just let things fall off that need to fall off. Let's just worship God. The Bible says that the garment of praise is here for a spirit of heaviness. We just break anxiety. We break grief. We just tell you to come out of that grave. If you felt captive, come out. Let the chains fall off as you begin to praise. We thank you, God, that we are coming out of the death that we have felt. God, renew our minds. Let us drop those chains that have been binding us. We sing out loud. We sing out strong. Right now, sing it out. dismiss the service if you want to stay around for a minute and pray and worship and you've got some heaviness you need to shake off the band is going to keep going when I'm done and when Pastor Aaron and Stephanie come up the other thing I want you to know is if you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior it is the first step it is the very first step, is acknowledging what Jesus has done for you. We are here for you. We wanna to talk to you about that. And we will not only talk to you, we will help you walk through this new life in Jesus' name. Pastors. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. 
Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.